0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome once again uh, to our Bible study in the book of Romans. Uh, tonight we begin chapter three, which I think is one of the great chapters uh, in the entire Bible. But as we begin this chapter, what we're going to find is that Paul is going to take a short uh, detour, which, as you can see, is the uh, is the title of our lesson tonight. We're going to be looking at the first uh, eight verses of, of chapter three. Now. Before we get started, let's make sure we orient ourselves once again. I've repeated this multiple times, but I just want to cover this one more time. What Paul is trying to do or accomplish in this section of Romans. In chapter 1, he dealt with the pagans. In chapter 2, he first dealt with moral people or people who think they are good. And then at the end of chapter 2, of course, as we saw last week, he dealt with the Jews. And what's his point in all of this? Uh, that every mouth may be stopped, that every person, be they a pagan, be they a moral person, be they a Jew or a Gentile, that everybody will realize that they're guilty before God. That, that's really what this whole uh, section so far has has been about in, in Romans, that no matter who you are, uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile or, or it doesn't matter, good person, pagan person, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs the good news that God gives his righteousness freely to those who will put their trust and faith in his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned up front, here we are, and now Paul, right at the beginning of chapter 3, is going to take a a short detour in these first eight verses. And the reason he's going to do that is because in the at the end of chapter 2, he said something that was very provocative. Uh, He knows he said something that his readers will not allow to go unchallenged. He's kind of uh, stepped into a hornet's nest, uh, if you will. And what he said is this, that some Jews, although they have the lineage, although they have the bloodline, although they have the sign of the covenant in their body, even though they have all of that, he says, they're not really Jews. In fact, they're, they're Gentiles, which just means a non-Jew. On the other side, he also says that Gentiles who don't have the lineage, who don't have the genealogy, they don't have the bloodline, and they don't have the sign of the covenant, he said they can be real or true Jews. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, let's go back to Genesis seventeen seven, 7, which I think we covered last week, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to establish my covenant between you and I and between me and all of your descendants as an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means it does not end. Yet what Paul says seems to call this uh, into uh, whether this is really uh, everlasting. Does that, did, did God really mean that? And because if, it, if that didn't if that doesn't carry through, if that promise is not held, then that calls into the the, uh, the entire or calls into question the entire old testament and and, and that is a very big deal I, I mentioned this before it's very tempting for us as Gentiles in fact, I'm not even really sure if I know a single Jewish person It's very tempting that when we come to the Bible and we find something that's written specifically to Jews, as this passage is, sometimes we'll just move on. We'll disregard it because it's just human nature to only be interested in things that really pertain to to you. But we cannot do that here, and here's why. For the very first time in Romans, we come up against what I call the problem of the promises to the Jews. You see, our dilemma is this. If the New Testament contradicts the Old Testament. or if a New Testament teaching is in conflict or, or or somehow contradicts an Old Testament teaching, then we have a real problem and it's not just the Jews who have a problem, it, it's us as well because if God's Word contradicts itself, then how can any of it be trusted? Or, or let me even put it a, another way a little bit clearer. If God can break his Old Testament promises to the Jews, then who's to say he won't break his New Testament promises to us? So so what we're looking at here at the beginning of chapter 3 is a very, very big deal. Is Paul saying somehow that God has broken his covenant? This is the entire issue that Paul is about to deal with in the first eight verses of of chapter 3. Now, before we wade into this, I need to tell you, these are not easy verses. In fact, some commentators uh, will say that this, this is the uh, most difficult passage uh, in the entire book of, of Romans. So we're going to take our time, I'm going to kind of walk through it fairly slowly and see if we can understand uh, what Paul is trying to say here. So once again, let's, let's kind of set the table. Paul has just said that Jews can be judged by Gentiles. And he's just said that Gentiles can become true Jews by being circumcised in their heart. Now, you can just imagine that the Jew on the other side of this, what they're thinking or what they could be saying is this. Well, what's the point of being a Jew then? What's the point of having the, the, the circumcision and the rituals and the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the law? What's the point of all the things we've gone through as a people down throughout the years? What's the point? See, that is exactly the question that Paul asks in verse 1. He just phrases it a little bit different way. What advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? In other words, what's the point of there being Jews? Now, this is Paul's answer in verse 2. He says, Much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Now, the first thing he says is much in every way. In other words, there's a lot of advantages. Now, in chapter 9, Paul is going to kind of walk through those and list uh, most of them. But here in chapter 3, he's only concerned with one, what he considers the main or the chief advantage. And the chief advantage or main advantage is this, that they were given the oracles or the words Uh, of God. In other words, to the Jews were entrusted the 39 books of the Old Testament. Now, let me say this. We owe a huge, huge debt to the Jewish people. The the Bible that we have today uh, in our homes, in our hands, the Bibles that that we open every day and read, we have it in the form that we have it today because of, of the Jews. We believe that it's inerrant and accurate because of the care that they took in preserving it down throughout the, the centuries. F.F. Bruce talks about some of the, the uh, things or safeguards that they had devised to make sure that no errors entered into the Word of God. For, for example, they counted the number of times each letter of the alphabet occurred in a book. And then after they had finished cop- making a copy of that book, they would go back and count up all the letters of the alphabet. And if they didn't match what they had counted before, they'd throw the copy completely away and burn it. They had, they had figured out what the middle letter was of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and they had figured out what the letter uh, middle letter was of the entire Old Testament. And then when they got done uh, copying those first five books, or they got... A done copying a, an entire copy of the New Old Testament, they'd go back and find that middle letter in the in the copy, and if it didn't match what was in the original, they'd throw it away and burn it. So they were very very particular, and they even went even beyond that uh, with all these safeguards to make sure that no scribal errors uh, entered in. So so Paul acknowledges this. He says, "Man, what a what an advantage." to have the honor and the privilege of having the words of God, the oracles of God. Uh, What what a place in the plan of God the Jewish people had. Now, at this point, Paul knows what's about to come next. Remember, he's preached all over the Mediterranean. He's gone into synagogues. He's had all these talks. He's had all these debates, all these arguments with these Jewish people. So he knows what they're going to say. They're going to say something like this. Paul, hasn't God promised to be a God to Abraham and his descendants, all the Jews, in an everlasting covenant, that covenant is not suspended based on our moral character. We may be as bad as you say we are, Paul. We may be just as wicked as you say we are, but we're still Jews. We're still children of Abraham, and we still fall under the covenant made between uh, Abraham and God. Now listen, this is something that's very difficult for us as Americans to understand. We are a very individualistic people, right? We know we're, we're Americans. We know we're Southerners. We know we're Floridians. We know we're white or black. We get all that. But at the end of the day, we understand we're individuals and we're responsible for ourselves. But the Jews weren't like that at all. They didn't see themselves as individuals. They saw themselves as a a people. And their confidence in their salvation rested not in their own individual holiness. Their confidence in their salvation rested in the fact that they were Jews. You see, the Jews assumed it had to be one or the other. Either you were protected as a people or you were not. Either the promises applied to you as a people or or they did not. And they absolutely, firmly believed with all their heart that they were chosen and protected, not as individuals, but as a member of this people group called the Jews. So Paul is going to address this in Romans 3, 3 through 4. So let's read this. This is a little difficult. So I'm going to read it and then explain what he says. Paul says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And he quotes Psalms 51. So, let's start off. Paul says basically this. What if, he makes this argument, what if some Jews out of all this group of people What if there were some Jews that just absolutely did not believe? They didn't believe in God at all. And God were to judge those individuals. Does that make God unfaithful to his covenant or unfaithful to his word? And Paul says, certainly not. Now here, Paul uses the absolutely strongest Greek negative that he can can think of. It's like saying, uh, may it never be, or that's unthinkable, or that's crazy talk. See, Paul is basically saying, you think, you really think that God would allow sinful, unbelieving people to come into his presence just because they've got the right bloodline or the right lineage or they got a physical mark in their body? You really think that? Certainly not. There's no way. That's crazy talk. In fact, Paul is actually repulsed by this. Why? Because that impugns God's character. It impugns his holiness, demeans his holiness, impugns his righteousness. It makes him indifferent to holiness and righteousness. In fact, it would make him complicit in the tolerance of sin. Paul Paul thinks that's just crazy talk. In fact, he takes it to another level. He says, what if every man, what if every single Jew and every single Gentile didn't believe? He said, that doesn't make any difference at all. God would still be true and right and just, and every man would be a liar. Now, Paul can't just say that. He's got to support it. He's got to support it with Scripture. So what he's going to do is he's going to go and quote the Old Testament. And he pulls out a quote from, of all people, King David himself, one of the Jewish heroes. And he quotes from Psalms 51, 4 through 5. Let's read those verses. David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And that's the quote that he uses right now. Now, for those of you familiar with Psalms 51, this is after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's gotten her pregnant, and he tries to cover it up by having her husband Uriah killed in battle. So he's an adulterer, and he's a a murderer. And of course, when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, he has to admit his sin. And this is what Psalms 51 is is, this repentance that he has. But notice what he says to God, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. See, David himself is saying that God is right to judge him. He, he doesn't say I, I should get an out because I'm the king. He certainly doesn't say that I should get a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card because I'm a Jew. He doesn't say that at all. So that's exactly what Paul is saying. Here's, here's one of your own heroes. Here's scripture from the Old Testament that refutes what you say. Now listen, that, that's a knockout plug. How does How does a Jew say anything to that? They can't. But And you, you and I could think, you know what, Paul, you made your point. Let's go back and, 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 and to the subject and kind of get off this detour. But Paul's not quite uh, done yet. He's got a little bit more to say. As I said before, he's heard all these arguments from these Jews. Now, that's the, always their first argument, that they're Jews. And they're protected because they've, they're a member of this people group. Now, he's already he's refuted that. Now, he's got to deal with a second argument. And this second argument, to be honest, is is really unbelievable. The second argument is an attempt, is really a blatant attempt, to justify their sin. And what they say is literally going to sound outrageous, but it's the type of things that, that religious people say when they want to justify themselves. And this is what they say, we're doing God a favor by sinning. Look how Paul phrases it in verse 5. And this is, the, this is this imaginary Jew talking. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And he says, I speak as a, as a man. Some of the Jews would literally say that our sin, just like David's sin, shows God's righteousness when he judges. Therefore, we're not really being instruments of sin. We're actually being instruments that's showing God's glory. So God shouldn't condemn us. In fact, he would be condemning us for the very thing that magnifies his glory. Now listen, if that sounds like word games, that's exactly what it is. It's the way you start link uh using language when you've really lost touch with reality. It's it's the kind of language you use when you'll go to any means to justify and cover up your sin. Paul is so repulsed by this argument that he makes this odd statement. I speak as a man. It's like I, I've gotta say this, but I don't even really want to say it. I mean he, he just cannot believe anybody would make this argument. Now The rest of the verses are going to detail Paul's argument against this line of thinking. Okay, he could just leave it alone and say, you know, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to go there. But he doesn't. And he gives them three reasons why what they just said contradicts their own beliefs. Look at verse, uh, verse six, which is their first reason. He said this, certainly not. For how then will God judge the world? You see, one of the cherished beliefs of the Jews, and all Jews believe this, that one day God is going to come judge the world. Psalms 96.13 says, He is coming, He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with His truth. All the Jews believe this. But Paul says, if your line of reasoning is correct, that somehow when you sin, you're an instrument of God's glory, he said, then how could God judge the world? He said, "So if that's true, then then the other belief, he couldn't judge the world." He said, "That makes no sense at all." The number two reason he gives them that this line of thinking or reasoning uh, contradicts their own beliefs. Verse seven, he says this: "For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged a a sinner?" Paul says this. He brings himself into it. He says, "Take me for an example." Every time I talk to you guys in a synagogue or, I, I, or you confront me on a street corner, you, you call me a liar and you call me a sinner. But what if God judged me right now? Would he be just? And, and if you're honest, their, their, their reply would be, yes, he would be just to judge you. And so what Paul is saying here, see, you don't really, you call me a sinner, so you're not really holding to your position. You just keep call, falling into these word traps. The third reason. Verse 7, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Paul goes on to this and he says, your, your ridiculous position leads to the conclusion that everybody should just go around doing evil, that everybody should just go around sinning all they want. And to that kind of immoral theology, Paul says, your condemnation is is just now before i leave this evening um we've talked a lot about the jews i want to bring this home to us okay paul uh, obviously is speaking to the jews but it's true that really any religious people or religious person is being represented here because religious people are predict- particularly adept at justifying their their sin and we do this in really two ways the first way we do is through something I call presumption. Okay, You see, the Jews presumed because they were a Jew, because they were a certain lineage, because they had a certain mark in their body, they presumed they were okay. See, religious people do the same thing. They presume because they walked down an aisle 30 years ago and made a profession of faith. They they presume because somebody dumped them in, in water of baptism, or they presume because they signed a letter or a card and, and joined a church. They presume because of all of that, their status with God is secure. Yet if you walked into that person's life, they have no interest in spiritual truth. They're practicing blatant sin, yet they don't seem to be too concerned about it because they think I'm okay. Let me tell you, that is human depravity at its worst and evidence of counterfeit faith. Such beliefs will always impugn the character of God and demean his holiness. At the end of the day, true Christians are going to be saved, false Christians are going to be judged, and God will always be vindicated. The second way that religious people uh, try to hide their sin or justify that sin is they make excuses. Uh, And people are always going to do that. Uh, Let let me say, let's say a religious person comes here to the book of Romans and they start reading. Let me tell you, if you read the first three chapters of Romans, you're going to experience some guilt. I mean, you can't help it but experience some guilt. So how would a religious person react? Well, instead of repenting, many will kind of go toward all this contorted, deceitful use of, of language. Listen, we see this all over America today, justifying things like gay marriage and abortion, through this convoluted, immoral use of theology and language. To that, God says in Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, at the end of the day, this is why we cannot rely on our own wisdom because our judgments are flawed. In fact, if we take the most... Sometimes I look around the world and I, can, I look and say, how can smart people believe that? Because that's where human wisdom and human logic will always take you, and that is to the depths of depravity. You see, every sin has a thousand fig leaves that it can hide under. And human beings, especially religious people, are adept at finding each and every one of them. What's the answer? Our answer is to make God's word our only source of truth, our only source of wisdom, our only source of our own reasoning. For it alone will always tell us the truth. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you as we come into chapter 3. God, help us not to be, quote, religious people. Help us to be people of relationship, not religion. God, if there's sin in our life and you expose it and show it to us, God, help us run to the cross, not run to the fig leaves and try to hide it and justify it, but just lay it bare under the blood of Jesus Christ and get it forgiven and that relationship gets restored. Help us to be those kind of people in Jesus' name. Amen.